This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. What's unique about 10? The Mishnah says in Ethics of Our Fathers, Chapter 3, Mishnah 6. The ten sit together and study Torah. So this presence of Hashem, God's presence is in their midst. So he's trying to distinguish that between the other things in the mission, which says that even if one person studies Torah by himself, he receives reward. And on a certain level, the Mishnah says there is a level of Shechina, even one person studying. And then there's a greater revelation if uh, two people, and three people, and five. What's the distinction? What's unique about ten? Because God is enclosed in the Torah. So when you study Torah, something of Hashem is revealed to the soul that's studying Torah. So when you're studying of Torah, activates this revelation of godliness. But it fits, it's customized to the soul. The soul is finite, the soul is limited. So it's a, it's a limited revelation, a revelation that the soul could receive, absorb, and grasp. And that's why the soul feels inspired. When you study Torah, the soul feels inspired, the soul feels uplifted. That's the reward of the Torah, that's the revelation a godly revelation that comes from studying Torah. It's not just studying math or science or physics. You're studying divine, something divine. You're studying the godly. Torah is godly and divine. So when you study Torah, something of the divine, something of the godly is revealed in your soul and you respond accordingly. And therefore there's a difference between if it's a one person studying, two people, three, five, and more, people studying Torah, the greater the level of revelation, the more intense the level of revelation. But ten is something else entirely. And that's what he's going to explain now. When ten get together, it's a revelation that's completely transcendent. You reveal, you draw down the Shechina, you draw down Hashem Himself. We are a fragment. Every one of us is a fragment a piece, a reflection. We reflect a piece, a slice of Hashem. Every one of us. But when you get ten Jews together, you have the entire Shechina. It reflects the whole. Just like Hashem, you have the ten basic building blocks of creation, the ten Svirot. That's why you have ten commandments, ten utterances with which God created the world. So when you get ten Jews together, they represent the whole. And that's something that's unique to the Jewish people. It always can win. Yes. The woman embodied represents the individual, but the community, the collective, the community, this is represented by, by the masculine energy. And that's also the theme of this year. The theme of this year is the theme of Hakil. Hakil, once in seven years, this is the year following the sabbatical year, on the holiday of Sukkot, the king would gather the entire Jewish people, men, women, children, even infants. They would all gather in the Jerusalem, in the temple, and the king would read from the Torah. And uh, the Rebbe spoke very strongly about this idea that although we don't have a temple today and there's no mitzvah, the rabbis never made any commemoration of this, but nevertheless, the theme of gathering should be the emphasis this year and the entire year. It's a year of gathering. And the question is, what does it mean the Jewish people gather? What's the advantage of the Jewish people gathering? 
even if you gathered every last Jew in the world, we're the tiniest people in the, in, in the world. There are hardly any Jews in this world. We're 0.2% of the world population. So you just want to highlight and emphasize how small we are, how numerically insignificant we are. What, 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 our, that's our strength that we gather. Our numbers. What's the point of gathering? And the answer is that it's not just about gathering, bringing together. It's about the, a unity, a type of gathering, a type of unity that only exists amongst the Jewish people. And that's the secret of our strength. It's a unity. It's not just a gathering. Because if you gathered 7 billion people, you wouldn't have the same effect. You don't have a minion. You gather 10 angels or all the millions and zillions of angels that are out there. Conscious, sentient, spiritual beings that populate all the upper worlds. You don't get a minion. You gather 10 Jews together, 10 bar mitzvah boys together, you got yourself a minion. You can say Hashem's name, Hashem's presence. Because there's a unity that exists that's unique because the truth is that every one of us is a universe apart you know it's like you look at the star you know how far the closest star to the sun is the closest star to us four light years away four light years away it takes the sun eight minutes for the light of the sun to reach earth the sun is, what, 90 million miles away? Four light years away, the closest. Star. When you see, look up the, the, in the sky and you see two stars, you know how far they are? Light years. Space is 99% empty. And all the billions and galaxies and zillions of stars, the world's apart. Every human being, 7 billion people, every human being is like... A, a separate world, a separate universe. Even when we have connections, it's very superficial. But the Jewish people have an internal unity, a core unity, an essential unity. As a matter of fact, we have nothing external in common. Two Jews, three opinions, Sephardic Jews, Ashkenazic Jews, religious, non-religious. We speak all the languages of the world. And yet, we're one. We're brothers, we're sisters, we're family, we're one. At the core and at the essence, we're Jewish, we're one. We have a piece of the divine essence inside us, we're one. That's the unity. So something very holy happens. When you get ten Jews in a room together, something that doesn't exist in the whole universe. You have a reflection of the whole, of the Shekhinah. You draw down the Shekhinah even without them doing anything. They're sitting in a cafe together. Yeah, draw down the shechina. You have Hashem's presence. Something that the angels can't do. Everything in the universe is a fragment, is a slice, is a piece. Is, you don't have the whole. And you put all the pieces, all the, you still don't have the whole. It doesn't reflect the whole. But you have a minion you draw down this intense, transcendent revelation of Hashem, His Shechina, His presence, is revealed, and is felt, and is there. And that's what's unique about the ten. That's the difference, the distinction between the ten, and the five, and the three, and the two, and the one, as the Talmud says. That the Shechina precedes them. In other words, before they even do anything, there's an advantage of ten Jews. It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah you have to study Torah with ten Jews. You study Torah alone, or with a chavrusa, with a, ideally with a partner, learning partner. But it doesn't say you have to study Torah with ten. But if you understand what the Mishnah is saying, what Rabbi ben Krachananya is telling us, that ten Jews that study Torah, the Shechina is present. Just like when you have a minion something very profound. And he says that's the reason why the soul comes down into this world. 
It's this descent. In this descent, you have the elevation. Because it's only in this world, when you get ten Jews together, you have a minyan. You have the Shekhinah, the revelation of the Shekhinah. Something that you can't achieve in the upper worlds. Something that the angels can't achieve. Only in this world. You have ten Jews. That event, something eventful, monumental, happens. Just the mere fact that they're together. They draw down the Shekhinah. That's how profound and how powerful this unity is. That's what, that's what hakel is. Hakel is gathering. It's a different type of gathering. It's a unification that's unique and only exists amongst the Jewish people. And that's the secret of our strength And when we are together. And therefore, you should try to do a mitzvah together. Ten Jews do a mitzvah together. Or study Torah together. Because when you have Hashem's presence and you're studying Torah then what you're doing is that you're taking this transcendent, intense revelation and you are internalizing it. You're bringing it because you are part of the ten. The individuals are part of the ten. You make up the ten. So this revelation affects you. Yes, it's a transcendent revelation. But this revelation affects you and, and strengthens you. Indwelling, however, that degree of indwelling of which it is written that the Shekhinah dwells among them is an intense radiation from the light of Hashem that radiates in it, within the soul itself and not within its inherently limited faculties, without limit or end. It cannot become vested within a finite soul but encompasses it from above like a transcendent light from its head to its foot, so that all the levels and faculties of the soul, from the highest to the lowest, are surrounded by this infinite divine light. As our sages of blessed memory taught, the Shekhinah hovers over every gathering of ten Jews, over them from above, just as the Shekhinah hovers over all Jews in an encompassing manner, even when they are not studying Torah, so too, even with regard to the indwelling of the Shekinah that is brought about by congregational Torah study. This illumination of the soul, being infinite, must be primarily transcendent. Thus it is written, May the pleasantness of the Lord our God be upon us, established upon us the work of our hands, that the pleasantness of Hashem which has appeared through the work of our hands in our involvement in the Torah and the commandments. This was the prayer that Moshe and Aaron prayed when they finished building the tabernacle. And the Shekhinah did not, wasn't present. The Shekhinah did not reveal itself. Hashem did not reveal His presence. So they prayed, and that was the last thing that triggered, that evoked the response, the, the uh, desired response. And the prayer was, may the sweetness of Hashem be upon us and upon our hands and establish upon us the work of our hands, referring to the work of the temple, which is a mitzvah. They built the temple. They built the tabernacle. So when you do a mitzvah, you're saying that the sweetness of Hashem should be on top of us because it's really a transcendent, this was a communal event. The community came together and did this mitzvah building the temple. So when the community comes together, you have a call, you have a minion, you have a community, a congregation. You draw down Hashem's infinite light, transcendent light. The whole, which is, therefore, it's Aleinu. It hovers over us. It's above us. It's transcendent. We can't really grasp it. But this, is, this sweetness should be over us and it should establish upon us the work of our hands. For the Torah, become established and rest upon us above in an encompassing manner. For it is without limit and end and does not become vested within our finite soul and intellect. So he says, because the Torah and the Holy One are entirely one, which is true even if one person studies Torah. So there's a revelation of godliness. There's a sweetness. 
that's revealed as a result of the Torah and the mitzvah. But because we're doing it, we're doing it as a congregation, so the revelation of godliness is much more intense, and therefore the internal revelation as a result of the studying Torah and doing mitzvot is on a different level. So it's not only that you have the Shechina that's hovering over them, but also the internal revelation, the indwelling internal revelation that comes as a result of the holy activity that you're doing, the godly activity that you're doing, studying Torah and doing mitzvot, as, as because 10 individuals are doing it together, therefore the revelation is also on a higher level. But that level essentially is something that you can't receive. You can't in, in truly internalize it. It's transcendent. But you get some sense, some, some elevation, some impression, some sense of it. This is why we do not apprehend with our intellect the delightfulness and sweetness of the pleasantness of Hashem and the unlimited splendor of the Shekinah that is established and rests upon us through the work of our hands in our joint study of the Torah and our joint fulfillment of the commandments. An infinite order of illumination is elicited only by collective Torah study and performance of mitzvah. And of this our Savior, the Blessed Memory, said, in this world there is no reward for the performance of the commandments. Since this world is finite, it cannot be a receptor for the infinite revelation of divine radiance that is called forth by the performance of the mitzvah. There is a reward, but you cannot receive it in this world. Our world is too finite and too limited to be able to receive this intense revelation. Just the mere fact that you have ten bodies in the same room, you have ten Jews together in a room, you draw down the Shekhinah, whether you feel it, you don't feel it, you appreciate it, you don't appreciate it, it's you experience it, you don't experience it. So it does, the reality is that you're drawing down the Shekhinah, which is so powerful that the soul cannot contain it. The soul cannot... What if you have ten Jews that are doing something heinous? Okay, well, we'll get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, okay. For it is impossible for the world to attain the reward of infinite light except when the soul is divested from the body and unencumbered by it. While we're in this world, we are limited. The body limits us. So we, we don't feel, we don't sense. We're like, we're wearing blinders. We don't see, we don't feel, we don't experience. We're like blind, deaf, and dumb. Right. So we don't feel and experience and appreciate what's going on. But, but something very powerful is going on, even what, if you don't feel it. What about in deep prayer, a state of ecstasy? That's but they, again, that's a private individual thing. Here we're talking about what happens when 10 Jews get together. You're talking about a private prayer, personal ecstasy. Here we're talking about when you have 10 Jews praying together, 10 Jews doing a mitzvah together, 10 Jews studying Torah together. Even when the soul is able to receive this light only by way of grace, as is written, kindness, O God, is yours, for you render to every man according to his work. Granting every infinite degree of illumination according to his work in Torah and Mitzvah is an act of kindness on God's part. Because the question is, it makes no sense. This verse makes no sense. He says, you, Hashem, are kind. What is your kindness? You pay each person according to his work. Why is that a kindness? You're paying a person his wages, his salary. That takes kindness. If he earned it, See, if it's his wage, then, then, then why, what kind, why do you say, it's a contradiction, the verse contradicts itself. He says, Hashem, you're kind. What is, how do you express your kindness? You pay each one according to his work. So if you're, paying every, if you're paying them, that's not a kindness. If you don't pay someone what he worked for, it's, it's, it's theft. You're not, you're not a kind person. If an employer pays his employee, he earned it, and he worked for it, and you pay him, you give him a, a check at the end of the week. It's not a kindness. <laughs> You're obligated. So what does the verse mean? But so he explains. Because we cannot receive the reward. Of course we earn the reward. But we're simply too limited to receive the reward. There's no reward in this world, because when we do something godly, God is infinite. So we are too finite, too limited to receive and absorb, to receive our wages.
It's a kindness of Hashem that allows us to receive our reward. But where, where, is, where do we receive this reward primarily? In the next life. In the next life. After life. Because in this body, we're too limited. We're too finite. The body simply limits us. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the receivers to receive the okay. infinite. So, and even then, even that's a kindness. It's a kindness of Hashem that allows the soul, even the disembodied soul, even after 120 years in the afterlife, the soul is still limited. So it's a kindness of Hashem that allows the soul to benefit from the Torah and the mitzvot that are achieved in this world to receive some of that godly revelation which would only be revealed in the soul, in the afterlife, in the eternal reward, which comes after, in the afterlife, as a result of the Torah mitzvah that we earn in this world. That's our sages of blessed memory, taught that the Holy One, blessed be He, gives the righteous the capacity to receive the reward in the world to come. Even then, this gift is needed, for even after the soul divests itself, of its body, it is finite, while the reward that it receives is infinite. This is not so, however, with the angels, which are incapable of receiving an infinite degree of revelation. Angel is limited. They're pure sentient beings, spiritual beings, pure energy. They also have a body, but um, their, their bodies are also energy. And they are limited. So they are incapable of receiving an infinite love degree of revelation. It's only the soul, after 120 years, that has the capacity, because of Hashem, out of His kindness, allowed the soul to experience and to taste some of the reward of, of what it accomplished, of the Torah and the mitzvot that it learned and studied and uh, fulfilled in this world. But the angels simply do not have this capacity. And then he goes on to make this powerful statement, as I heard. As I heard from my masters, the Valchentov and the Majid of Mesri, that if one angel were to stand in the presence of a gathering of ten Jews, even if there were no words of Torah between them, yet still, since the Shekhinah rests upon every gathering of ten Jews, such a boundless and infinite terror of dread will then befall him on account of the Shekhinah that abides over them, that he will become utterly nullified. The sanctity of ten Jews congregating together, even if they are not engaged in Torah study, is so intense that an angel will become utterly nullified when confronting the indwelling of the Shekhinah that abides in the presence of ten Jews. We don't feel it. We don't sense it. We are completely oblivious to it. Until the Alter Rebbe wrote this letter, no one even knew this. <laughs> Thousands of years. Even now that we know it, we don't sense it, we don't experience it. If we were to sense the Shekhinah, we would be completely nullified. We would be trembling. We would be in awe. Just like the giving of the Torah. The Jews tremble. Hashem revealed Himself during revelation. Every time you have ten Jews together, you have a revelation, an intense revelation of the Shekhinah. Nobody is trembling. Nobody is in awe. People close their eyes, not necessarily out of ecstasy. Sometimes they're just falling asleep. <laughs> the Hashem is present. How could you sleep? How could you fall asleep? How could you not be shaking and trembling? Because we're completely oblivious. We don't even sense it. Even subconsciously, we don't even, we barely sense it. Because there are, there are, there is a concept, sometimes you feel something. You don't understand what you're feeling, but you're responding. You have a sense of something, a sense of dread, a sense of awe, a sense of presence. Here, we sense zero, nothing. Not a zilch, nothing. The Hashem is present, and we don't feel anything. The angels, however, they do feel. They are sensitive. So if an angel would be in the presence of ten Jews, he would be nullified. The intense revelation of godliness would be so intense 
It's like you can't look at the sun directly. It's, the light is so powerful, it would destroy your eye. They would be completely nullified. The angels, as spiritual as they are, if they, because they're spiritual, because they're sensitive, when they sense the holiness of Hashem's presence, they would be burnt, burnt up. They would be completely nullified. They would cease to exist. The question is, every Friday night, we say Shalom Aleichem. What if you're sitting at a dinner and there's more than 10 Jews at the table? According to this, how could... You're killing a lot of angels. You're killing a lot of angels. <laughs> we say, you're saying goodbye, you know, you're making a eulogy of a nice funeral. I mean, <laughs> how is it possible? You're having a whole conversation with the angels for a minute, two minutes, which for an angel is like, is like eternity. We don't, we don't invite them to stay for the meal. They're not eating anyway. But still, it's being a minute with an angel is like eternity. You say, hello, goodbye. But even that hello, goodbye, how could they last? At the moment, the ten Jews are together. And the Rebbe asks, we know that the angels have to help us in our prayers. They have to help us elevate our prayers. Even, even when you have a minion of Jews praying together, it's the angels that help us. And elevate our prayers. How could angels be present? We need, how could angels help us if we have ten Jews together? He says an angel will be burnt and completely nullified. We find the concept in the Talmud that Yenus um, uh, ben Azil, who was the senior student of Hillel, the elder, when he would study Torah and he would delve into Jewish mysticism, he says a fire would hover over him. And the birds would be burnt alive. Any bird that would fly over would be burnt alive. Because it was such holiness, it was such an intense revelation of holiness that the birds would be burned. And also the, any angel that would be there may have just, it was too intense, couldn't, couldn't stand the intense level of holiness that doesn't exist even in the heavens and the heaven of heavens. He said the whole reason why the soul comes down into this world is to experience and to draw down and to reveal this intense transcendent, infinite level of godliness, the Shekhinah's presence, which could only come about when you have ten bodies, ten Jews in this world coming together, being in a room together, especially when they're studying Torah together and doing mitzvah together. That's the elevation. The soul comes down in order to be elevated. That is the elevation. To experience that and to have that and to draw down that intense level of godliness. How is it possible that the angels, how could the angels help a Jew pray when he says he can't even be in their presence? And then he says, the Rebbe asks, why does he say, he says, one angel. If there was one angel. What do you mean if there was one angel? Well, maybe one, one question answers the other. Maybe if it's only one angel, maybe if it's more than one. We know at the Shabbos table, there's more than one angel come there. He says, Shalom Aleichem. He's saying the plural. There's two angels that accompany every Jew when he comes home from Shabbos. So maybe if there's more than one angel, somehow... They are, able to, uh, uh, they are able to withstand and to survive this encounter. Also, when the, when the Jew is praying, maybe it's more than one angel that's helping. You know, you have a whole group of angels that are, uh, so maybe, maybe more than one angel. For whatever reason, what's the reasoning? What, what would be the difference? Why the difference of one? How could there be a difference? What's the difference if it's one angel or all the angels together? If, if, if an angel is just a fragment, an angel, despite that, the fact that the angels are spiritual, but they're just a fragment and they can't stand in the presence of the Shekhinah, the whole, this intense, transcendent revelation. And being angels, they are spiritually sensitive. They are tuned in so they can sense this revelation. We are blind, deaf, and dumb. While we're having this revelation and while we're experiencing this we don't experience anything. We don't sense anything. We don't feel anything. Even subconsciously, we don't even, it doesn't register with us. What do they need to accompany you when you walk home? It says every Jew, when he walks home from Shul Friday night, is oh, accompanied right. by two angels. That's what it says. And they bless you. They come home and they see your Shabbos table. And that's why we say Shalom Aleichem. We welcome the angels. That's the reality. So, but the question is, what difference would it make if it's one angel or two angels or ten angels or all the angels put together? How could they... How could they survive this intense revelation? Why does it, he says, if there was one angel, so yes, he says it, and maybe that answers the question, but the question is why? Why would one angel, what difference would it make? Why only one angel can survive? But if there were two angels, 
to more angels, they could survive. What, what difference does it make? If an angel can't receive, is finite and limited, and can't receive this intense revelation of godliness, they should all be nullified. So the note, note says, further examination is required to understand the meaning of, quote, one angel. Right, right, right. So obviously he's making, he's saying, he's, say being, he's being very specific, one angel, which may answer the question about the Shalom Aleichem and the question that the Rebbe asks about the minion. How can angels help us with our prayers if there's a minion? Because it's more than one angel. But, but that alone needs an explanation. Why? What's the difference? According to the way he's explaining it here, why, why would it make a difference if it's one angel would be completely nullified in the presence of Hashem Shechina? But the uh, more than one angel could, could survive that. Why? Also when we say the Kesem, right? Right. The, the Malachim and the Jews are together. As long as maybe he's with the Jews, it's fine. If he's single, if he's separating himself from the Jews. It's interesting. An angel is a created being, is a finite being. But many times in the Torah, angels are referred to by God's name. So Nachmanides explains that when an angel is doing a mission, is a messenger, a malach, an angel in Hebrew means a messenger. Right, right. So when the angel is doing a, is a messenger and he's on a mission, then you can call him by God's name. He's completely egoless. It's not him. He's representing Hashem. He's an angel. He's a, he's a messenger. He's just a messenger boy. He's just carrying, bringing Hashem and bringing Hashem's blessing. So by Shalom Aleichem, it says Hashem sends these two angels to accompany each Jew to bless them. When they come into the house and they see the table is set and they see they're celebrating Shabbos, so it says uh, you have two angels, a positive angel, a negative angel. Even the negative angel is forced to join in and give you a blessing. Vice versa, if you walk into a house and it's Shabbos is not Shabbos, then even the positive angel has to be silent and uh, while the negative angel uh, does his mission. And you're hoping there are not ten Jews in the home. So but the, thank God in many homes there are ten Jews. But the point is, when the angel is doing a mission, maybe that's the answer, when the angel is doing a mission... He's representing Hashem. Hashem is sending the angels as His representatives to bless okay. them. Then, then they're, they're, they're even called in the Torah by Hashem's name. Then they represent the Shekhinah. Then it's not a problem. Also, maybe when in the prayer, Hashem is sending them. That's their mission to help, help us, help us in our prayers, help us elevate our prayers. So as long as they're fulfilling their divine mission, Maybe that's what he means. If there's one angel, meaning he's like like Chen says, he's on, he's on, he's alone. He's 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 wandering. He's 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 visiting. He's taking a walk. He's enjoying uh, the scene, the scenery. He's a tourist. He's watching. He's in, then he would be completely nullified. He just couldn't handle the intense revelation of godliness. An angel is finite. An angel simply can't survive that intense light. It's too. The heat is too much. It's too much. It's too powerful. The light is too powerful. You just can't handle it. You will be completely nullified. Cease to exist. So maybe, maybe one, one question answers the other question. Very good. So then the angel, essentially, is the connection between finite man and Hashem. The angel and is a messenger. Malach means so a messenger. You, you, like it says, like, open your mouth and, and tell me what you want and I will grant this to you. It's delivered to you by the angel. The angels are the delivery, right? Okay, they, they, that's, they, that's they, what I needed to know. Okay. they are in Yaakov's vision. They're going the up the ladder, down the ladder. They're drawing, they're elevating the prayers. They're drawing down the blessings. They are, they are the uh, UP. They are the postal, okay, postal I, I, workers, I, I, the I, I, heavenly postal I, workers. Very good. They send the Shem sends the packages. Very right. In Sefer Hasichot fifty seven oh four. The Rebbe Rayatz relates that when his father taught him this letter for the second time, and they came to the above theme of the superiority of souls over angels, he noticed that, as I heard from my masters, refers to both the Baal Shem Tov and the Maggid of Mezrich, the phrase I heard from my teacher in the glossary to chapter 35 refers to the Maggid of Mezrich. The Rebbe Rashab went on, went on to tell him that this theme is one of the laws that are studied in Gan Eden. Then, 
having shared with him eight narratives regarding the laws studied in Gan Eden, he concluded, all of this is discussed in Tanya in order to encourage the establishment of daily study group in Enyakov concerning which the Alter Rebbe states that most of the secrets of the Torah are concealed in it, and that, moreover, it atones for men's sins. At that time, too, the Rebbe Vayatz writes, his father told him that Hasidim of old used to include as part of their indispensable daily study sessions, in addition to Mishnayot, a page of the Gemara and Tanya, a passage of Ein Yaakov, and at least one law of two paragraphs in Kitsur Shulchan Aruch. If a paragraph was long, it was studied as one law, though usually one law is divided there into two paragraphs. He says it's, it's a typographical error. Uh, this was before the time of Kitsur Shulchan Aruch, before it was even published. He means Shulchan Aruch. He means Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch. They used to study, this is part of the study uh, program each and every day, Besides the Tanakh, which they studied every day, and the, uh, the Mishnayot, and the uh, Talmud, and Hasidus, they would also study uh, at least a paragraph of the Code of Jewish Law. So, so you know how to behave, you know what yeah. a Jew should do. And Ein Yaakov, which, which we're going to learn later, later on in the letter. Okay, so now we come to the crux. This is all the introduction. Altogether, Alter Rebbe is addressing himself to the Hasidim. Hasidim, these were very profound thinkers, learners, and a person by nature. And, and Hasidus Chabad emphasizes the importance of meditation and deep reflection, which is really a loner's activity to meditate and to reflect. If the close your eyes, the chassid would sit and cover his head with a talus. Even when he was in shul, he would come completely oblivious to everyone around him and go deeply inside his, himself and meditating and reflecting and concentrating and focusing and becoming one with the davening. This would emphasize the individual. This would push us towards learning yourself, studying yourself, praying, praying alone. Here the Alter Rebbe is trying, the bottom line is he's trying to get his Hasidim to study together. He's talking about the advantage of ten Jews studying Torah together. So to be able to shift, to be able to change, to get them to change their nature, their habit, or their inclination, everything in Hasidus, everything that we learn till now in Hasidus, would, would, would incline us to pursue it on our own. We should pursue our Yiddishkeit, our spirituality, it's uh, on our own. Have the peace of mind, the quiet, without distractions, to be able to develop this internal, rich internal life, this rich internal relationship with Hashem. I need my privacy, I need, this is something I have to do for myself. I'm the only one who can do this and I have to do this for myself. It's very internal. Here the Alter Rebbe is telling his Hasidim that they should gather together, congregate, study in public. It's almost counterintuitive. What do you mean study in public? I, I want to study, I want to internalize what I'm studying, I want to relate, connect with what I'm studying. It's, it's real. It's not, I'm not just... It's not just mouthing words and studying. It's not just a religious obligation. It's something I want to take to heart and I want to personalize it and I want to get into it. It's a very personalized endeavor. Why would I want to sit with 10 other Jews and study Torah together? I would rather sit alone, in private, lost in my thought, lost in my meditations and my reflections. So in order to get the Hasidim to change their orientation and to appreciate the idea of a congregation, the idea of getting together, the idea of studying the Torah together, the Alter Rebbe had to reveal to us something very intense, something very powerful that will wake us up and help us realize the advantage and the, the uh, advantage of studying Torah together. 
So, he, so that's why he, wrote, he writes his whole introduction. This powerful idea. You know what happens when you have ten Jews together? The Shechina is present. It's so intense, it's so powerful, an angel will be burnt alive. Angels couldn't handle it. It's too intense, it's too powerful. What a revelation. And the whole soul comes down into this world just to be able to be in a room with nine other Jews together. Because the, that alone is the elevation. Something that the soul can't achieve in heaven. And the angels can't achieve. And if you have all the angels in the world together, you have no minion. Just like if you gather all seven billion people in the world, you have no minion. You have ten Jews together. You have a minion. This intense, transcendent, infinite revelation. It's so intense that we don't even feel it. Consciously or subconsciously. We're completely oblivious to it. Not because it's not real. It's so real and so intense and so powerful, but it's transcendent. So we don't feel it. But the soul does benefit from it. The soul internalizes some of it and it affects the soul in the most profound way. And that's the encouragement, all the encouragement we need to reorient ourselves, to look forward to studying with ten Jews together. He's not just beating us over the head and admonishing us, study Torah with ten Jews. Why would I, why, why would I want to study with ten Jews? I prefer to study Torah myself, alone, or with a chavrus. But here he's, he's helping us that we should be eager, we should eagerly look forward. You know what happens when ten Jews are together and ten Jews are studying Torah together? You build a temple. Build me a temple and I will dwell in them. So he says, you have Hashem's shechina, you have Hashem's presence. The greatest revelation that all the angels in the world couldn't possibly achieve. Just by your presence together. So you should look for every opportunity that you can to gather. Hakel. Use every opportunity you can to gather together. To connect. To be present, physically present with nine other Jews. Enjoy it. Luxuriate in it. Relish it. Cherish it. Look forward to it. And when you realize what's going on, can be inspiring. I'll give you a, such a boost and such a, an inspiration, such a profound. But only if you're aware. If you're not aware, you could be a billionaire, but if you're not aware, you don't know that you have a billion dollars in the bank. You don't know how to write a withdrawal slip. You, you can be starving to death and walking around in tatters and homeless. Ten Jews gathered together, instead of everyone being, oh, I have to be with these. <laughs> <laughs> these nine, nine people. <laughs> You're a billionaire. You know what's happening? I, I, you know, you know. If an angel was here, if an angel wandered off the reserve and happened to pass by, that would be the end of the angel. He couldn't handle it. And here we are. We brought about this intense revelation of godliness. Enjoy it. Cherish it. Cherish every moment. Do something holy together. Study Torah together. Do a mitzvah. Take the opportunity and, and, and utilize it. Go to town with it. This is what the Rebbe is doing for us. Like every other letter. It's such a revelation. Without, without Hasidus, we're like, we're like blind, deaf, and dumb. We have no clue what's going on. We have no idea what's happening. Instead of looking at Judaism as a burden, as, oh, I have to do this again. Come to a minion again. It's not bad enough. I have to dab with a minion. Now you want me to learn with a minion. I can't get away from these guys. He says, appreciate, cherish. And don't forget that Judaism, Judaism is a communal event. It's a paradox. Yes, it's all about the individual. But it's a, community, it's a communal event. There are no loners in Judaism. To be Jewish, Moses has to daven with a minion, has to find nine other cobblers and tailors of bar mitzvah boys and come together and daven with a minion. He can't say Hashem's name unless he's davening with a minion. He can't read the Torah unless he's davening with a minion. Nine Moses, you have no minion. It's not, it's not a loner's event. We celebrate in the community. It's a communal event. You're part of the community. 
we're connected. And we gain strength. The individual gains strength from the community. That's the ultimate paradox and the ultimate, why it's so magical and something that's unique to the Jewish people. Because most places, the communal does conflict with the individual. It's hard to find your private space when you're in a public, public arena. You know, you're sitting in the office, everyone is there, you, 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 know, you get lost, the individual gets lost. In Judaism, we have the ultimate, the ideal combination, which is unique. It doesn't exist anywhere in the world. Everyone is praying together. You're in the house of worship together. The whole community is there. The men, the women, the children. Yeah. The mechitza, they're not sitting together. Husband and wife are not sitting together. Brothers and sisters are not sitting together. Friends are not sitting together. Everyone, because you're praying. It's a very personal event. It's a private event. I'm celebrating my relationship with Hashem. I'm lost in my relationship with Hashem. This relationship transcends my social relations. Even husband and wife relations. This relationship transcends that relationship. It's a, my, my marriage to Hashem, my relationship to Hashem. But I'm not doing it alone. I'm not in some cave. I'm not meditating in some cave, in some mountaintop. We're all praying together, and yet everyone is lost in their own prayer. The silent prayer. Everyone is the eyes focused standing alone, speaking directly to Hashem, personally, person to person, but I'm doing it with a minion. I'm doing it with my whole family, not together. We're not sitting together. It's not a social event. It's not theater. I'm not an objective observer. I'm, I'm, I'm a full, full participant. So you have the individual is not lost in the public space, on the contrary. I have the strength of the public, the strength of the congregation, the strength of the community, which enhances my personal relationship with Hashem. And each one's personal relationship with Hashem enhances the, the communal the communal effect. When each one, when we're learning Torah together, when we're doing something holy together, we're praying together, then it enhances the revelation of the Shekhinah that comes about as a result of the community is also internalized. So, each one strengthens the other, the public, the community versus the individual. You don't, you don't sacrifice the community for the individual, you don't sacrifice the individual for the community. Each one strengthens the other, each one needs the other, and each one, it's an interplay, which is such a beautiful, so, so I don't think you find that anywhere in the world. The emphasis on the individual, every individual is a world, and yet Judaism is a communal affair. You can't approach God alone. There's family, there's community, there's a minion, there's a congregation, there's a the community. There's we're never alone. That's the Rabbi. Jews all over the world are doing shakari within the same time parameters of their own respective time zones. So it's not just your own congregation, but it's collective happening all every day, day, three times a day. Klaal Yisrael, the whole Jewish people are together. That's why no Jew ever feels alone. You're right. No Jew ever feels alone. Because we're part of something larger and greater than all all of us put together. And that gives us strength. So the, the whole strengthens the individual, the individual strengthens the whole. And it's that wonderful interplay, and it's, that's, it's the ultimate paradox. That's the nature of truth, the nature of Emmas. So he's, he's helping us appreciate the community, the congregation. You know, it's easy to, I love the Jewish people as a whole. You know, the person says, I love, I love Jews. What do you think of Moshe, your neighbor? Oh, that wife beater. <laughs> and Beryl and Shul, oh, that Ganif, a tax cheater, a tax evader. And what do you think of this one? He doesn't have a single Jewish friend, but he loves the Jewish people. <laughs> it boils down to the minion that you're davening with, the minion that you're learning with, the, the Jews in your town, that you congregate together, you're learning together, you're praying together, and you realize what, what you're doing together, what you're accomplishing together. You should cherish that. You should appreciate that. That you're part of this community. You're part of this congregation. You're part of something so special. 
that you eagerly look forward to learning together and praying together and doing mitzvahs together. So as great as the individual is, that's what he's saying, as great as the individual is, you can be the greatest individual in the world, Moshe himself, the greatest individual. You're just a fragment. You want to get the whole Shekhinah? You want to get the revelation of the infinite and the transcendent revelation of Hashem? That can only happen when you have ten Jews together. You can't do it alone. No matter how great you are, no matter how intense you are, no matter how spiritual you are. Angels are more spiritual than you. Than you'll ever be. And they can't do it. All the angels combined can't do it. Seven billion people can't do it. Ten Jews together. It's done. You've done it. What you're describing, though, is not the, what takes place in the minion that I go to. <laughs> Just because you don't know it. Nobody even knows what, what you're describing here. Or maybe they know it, but they, it's another world. Yeah, we are completely oblivious to it. Before the Alter Rebbe wrote this, before the Baal Shem Tev and the Maggid revealed this to us, we didn't know it. And the, and the Alter Rebbe publicized it and published and wrote it. We, we, we are completely oblivious to it. We don't feel it. We don't sense it. But it doesn't change the reality. We are billionaires. That transaction is taking place. It's Without done. It's done, yes. It's done. And if you know it, that lights a fire on you. That makes you, you know, lights a fire. Are you kidding? I just made the transaction of my life. The whole universe. Nothing like it exists in the whole universe. Just by the mere fact that we're sitting together. Once you realize it, it lights a fire in you. And then you do it eagerly and enthusiastically and passionately. Please, God, soon will be in lessons in Tanya.com. And uh, that's the whole idea, to publicize all these ideas, because without Hasidus, if we don't publicize it, if we don't know it, it all begins with awareness. Knowledge, awareness. Shouldn't that be the sermon for the, for the Shabbos then? I mean, uh, for all the people that don't know it? It's true. First, the rabbi's got to learn this. The rabbi gives a sermon, learns this, and he can give a sermon. We're assuming a Chabad rabbi knows right. it. So you're going to have a right. hundred right. Jews? Right. Or, or ten groups of ten? It, it, uh, well, there is a, once you reach ten, it doesn't change. Halacha doesn't change. Ten. There is a concept, the more, the more the merrier. There's such a concept in certain things. Like it's more honor for the king if there's a multitude of people. You know, the first, whenever there's a speaker, whenever there's an event, the first question the Jews ask, so how many people were there? So the more people there are, the more respectful it is. The more it's, it's an honor of the king. Like it says the reading of the Megillah, you should try to have a larger group. It's, it's more respectful. It's more Bereivam Hadras Melos. There is such a concept. Of the more the merrier. But, but ideally you would want to have two, two minions? No, no, it doesn't. No, no, no. But, but the more the merrier. But, the, the, but once you reach 10, you already have the Shekhinah. That's the, that's the point that he's making here. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 10, 20, 100, 1,000, a million. It doesn't change. You already have the Shekhinah. You already have Hashem's presence. 10,000, 10, add zeros, it doesn't, you, the, the essence. Bar, bar mitzvah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 10, 10 Jews in the Ukraine. Not one. And it would affect us here. No, where, where they are, they're drawing down the Shekhinah. In that room, they're drawing down the Shekhinah. Yes. I guess, I guess. It strengthens so all of us. I guess it strengthens all of us. The Shekhinah is the revelation of Hashem. Okay. It's intense and transcendent, infinite revelation. It's a holy, that's what he's saying, it's a holy event. The angels are burnt, are consumed. They couldn't handle it. They, they would be consumed. They would, they would expire. It's so intense. Such an intense revelation of holiness. When ten Jews are sitting together. Now he's coming to the point. This is all an introduction. This is all... Therefore, evil in my eyes is the conduct that takes place under the sun in general. Now, the Rebbe is referring here to those who engage in business or labor. Temporal occupations that are under the sun, in contrast to Torah, that is above the sun. To them, too, his forthcoming words of rebuke 
are addressed, and he finds it evil in his eyes that before or after prayer they devote their time to light-minded talk instead of to Torah study. Especially among my brethren and friends who draw near to Hashem, and drawing near means prayer. For prayer, particularly when accompanied by the avoda of measured meditation, constitutes a drawing near to Hashem. When after prayer or before it, the gathering becomes a company of scoffers, heaven forfend. As our sages of blessed memory said, if two people sit together and no words of Torah are exchanged between them, this is a company of scoffers. Now, if a company of scoffers is constituted by ten people over whom the Shekhinah abides, there is no greater insult and shaming of the Shekhinah than that, heaven forfend. Because since he explained that the mere presence and the mere fact that you have ten Jews, that's, her, that's the whole explanation. That the, the, what's unique about ten versus the five, the three, the two and the one is ten, just the mere fact that the ten Jews are together, you already draw down the Shekhinah, you already reveal Hashem. Without them doing anything. The others, in the case of the five, the three, the two, the one, they have to do something to activate a revelation of holiness, of godliness. When they study Torah, they reveal a limited revelation of godliness. But with ten, even without them doing anything, just the mere presence of ten <coughs> Jews together, you're already drawing down Hashem Shekhinah. So if you... So it's a fact. You can't help it. Ten Jews, Hashem is present. So if you, if you abuse it, not only don't you appreciate it, you're actually abusing it. Hashem is present. Can you imagine if the, the king is present and you're completely ignoring his presence? This one is sipping coffee and this one is, is talking about uh, the stock market and this one is, is yentiving and this one is gossiping and this one... Right. So imagine the... So you can't help it. Hashem is present. You can't say, I'm sorry, Hashem, please, not today. <laughs> Hashem is present. And you're embarrassing him. It's a shame. It's, it, it, it's a... How can you be in Hashem's presence and not be in awe and not, and not do something with it? If Hashem is present, utilize the opportunity, utilize this gathering to do something holy. Study Torah together. Do a mitzvah together. Even if we're talking about after prayer, you already finished prayer. Before prayer, after prayer, don't just sit around and twiddle your thumb and shove the bull and you know, shoot the breeze and whatever the expression may be. Ten Jews are together. Do something holy. Otherwise it's, a sh- otherwise it's an insult to Hashem. In davening, during davening, especially if you only have ten and they're part of the ten, surely you're not allowed to be distracted. You have to daven. Here he's talking about after you already finished davening. You, you, you're, you're continuing your presence. You have ten Jews who are just hanging out together. Ten Jews hanging out together. It says ten Jews hanging out together. If the Mishnah says two Jews who are hanging out together and they don't study Torah, he calls them scoffers because they don't value the studying of Torah. And therefore, instead of wasting, instead of studying Torah, they're wasting the time so they, they devalue the preciousness of studying Torah. How much more so when ten Jews are hanging out together and there's no words of Torah amongst them? And what this would bring to mind, I think what, what many times Jews gather together for a simcha, for a good thing. A bar mitzvah, a bris, uh, whatever, an upshot in this, whatever, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. And unfortunately, many times people sit an hour or two at the bris or at the simcha and no one says any Torah. They eat, they say l'chayim, they wish each other well. But it's a wasted opportunity. Yes, it's a mitzvah and they're celebrating a mitzvah, but the power of ten Jews coming together, he says if ten Jews are sitting together and they don't say words of Torah, they call them scoffers. If ten Jews are sitting together, especially sitting at a mitzvah, a simcha, a real rejoicing and use the opportunity someone should get up and use the opportunity to speak a few words of Torah as everyone is studying Torah together so you should internalize that powerful revelation the presence of Hashem should, that hovers over us we should internalize it we shouldn't. 
take advantage of that, of that opportunity. This is how the Rebbe is telling us. That he's talking about after davening. Davening is over. During davening, everyone was silent. Surely it goes without saying. Everyone was silent. Everyone prayed. But after davening, use the opportunity. Study Torah. He's not saying that people shouldn't talk and people shouldn't. People want to talk because they have to know. want to be able to help each other. You have to know. You know the story, the rabbi was very upset that people were talking in shul. So he made an enactment, no talking in shul. From when you step into shul till you leave, not a peep, not a sound. Just pray and that's it. A month goes by, a few weeks go by. All of a sudden, everyone is ringing the rabbi's doorbell. This one is out of a job. This one can't feed his family. The rabbi's overwhelmed. He says, I don't get it. I mean, what, what changed the last month? All of a sudden, all these sorrows, what happened? Until he found out when people were in shul, where would people gather? People gather in shul. Where do people meet? Where do they congregate? They hang out in shul. As they talk, this one finds out this guy needs a job. So he says, you know what? It makes a shidduch, you know, maybe here you have an extra job for this one. This one needs a little help. Could you help him? This one needs a... So the community helps each other. And the rabbi realizes, says, of course, talk to each other. You have to talk. I'm sorry, I take it back. You know, it's not a, monas- it's not a monastery. It's not a place where you go and, and no one talks. We care about each other. And it's a place of con- we congregate and we want to talk to each other. But the point is, utilize this opportunity. After davening, don't just daven and then take the opportunity to, to study Torah together. Hashem is present. The Shekhinah is present. It's such a powerful moment. It's here and now. Right now, right here. Utilize this opportunity. Study Torah together. That's the point that he's making. To be continued, this is very appropriate for the preparation for Shavuot, the holiday of Shavuot. It's all about how do you prepare for the giving of the Torah. It's by studying Torah, especially studying Torah in public. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.